up, what up, everybody? Hello, welcome to a New Year's Eve edition of the Nesson After Hours podcast. I am the one and only Emerson Lazio. She only is the one. one. Only one out there. That's right. And there's only one of you, CG, Celie Godwin. It's been an interesting year, wouldn't you say? Yeah, yeah it's, it's been a tough year for a lot of people. I think there's been um, a lot of people struggling, a lot of people just trying to survive each and every yep. day. And that's kudos to everybody out there doing that and just making it through one day at a time, one day at a hey. time. Amen, sister. And I tell you what, there there are a few positives to to take from this uh, yes. crap show uh, of a year. No One doubt. of them is you, the listeners. And then two, how about all of these unbelievable guests? Wow. That yeah. We've been like fortunate enough to spend some time with like on this podcast that we launched, I don't know, eight, seven months ago. And, and shout out to our producer, uh, Fred Nutter as well. I mean, this is his baby and now we have kind of adopted it. Yes, uh, we are joint custody of this baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. No, <laughs> That's a great no. way of putting it. <laughs> uh, we've had some incredible guests, and I, I mean, it's wild uh, how far this podcast has come and all the stories and all the stuff that we've heard um, from so many different guests on this podcast. So as we look ahead to 2021, we also want to look back on some of those favorite interviews from 2020. Uh, we start way back in April when former NBA All-Star Tim Hardaway Woo! joined us to talk about The Last Dance. Because when that was coming out, that was right when we were in the thick of quarantine. We didn't know what the hell was going on. And the last right? they, moved, they moved the documentary up, remember? Yes, it was, it was, they moved the documentary like, up because they were like, supposed to yeah, they were thinking like people really needed this right now. And they did, honestly, it gave us a, you know, a little break and something to kind of take our mind off the, the situation at hand. And The Last Dance, it was incredible. Um, that entire documentary on, on MJ and his time with the Bulls. Um, so Tim Hardaway, he joined us to share what it was like to face Michael Jordan in his prime. Tim, the trash talk. I don't know if there was anyone who could do it as Let's well go. as Michael Jordan. Would you say he was the best at trash talking? You, you know why he was the best at trash talking? Because he could bag it up in any way. He could bag it up playing defense. He could bag it up on the offensive end, especially. But on the defensive end, you know, if he said he's going to try to shut you down, he's going to try to shut you down. If he said he's going to um, be in your face – and guard you and, and be all over the place and like a black cat, that's what he was going to do. And um, to, to, to have a guy trash talk you and, and, and do it really bad in your face and you know that you, you coming back at him, you coming back at him, you coming back at him, but there's nothing you can do. There's nothing you can do because at the end of the day, his team wins, your team loses in a series, in a series. Not in just, you know, one game. One game doesn't mean nothing, you know. But in a, in a playoff series, in a championship series, one, you know, you lose that series, he's up on you. So it's ultimately about winning the series, not about winning one game. You can win one game and still talk trash. But if you win the series and talk trash, you know, you're done. The other you lost, he won, he's moving on, or he won a championship. So it was um, – it was um, when he talked trash, it, it, we – we tried not to talk trash to him. We tried to like, all right, let him just play. We know if you tried to stop him from getting 50, 
he was going to get 50. If you try to just play and, and just hope that he scored 35, he, he was going to get 35. So that, that's how you just played the game. And you guys were uh, you guys were teammates here in a couple All Star games, right? So of course, yes. How uh, how different was he as a teammate compared to a competitor? Great teammate, man. You know, in in the locker room, he uh, easygoing, uh, talkative. Um, I was with him in New York for his uh, last one with the Chicago Bulls, and everybody knew that you know that was going to be his last All Star game with the Chicago Bulls. And we, uh, it, it was like a, almost like a festivity for him. Yeah. And when I walked in, my locker was right next to his. <laughs> and I was like, who in the hell had this bright idea to put my locker right next to his? <laughs> and he's like, what's wrong, Tim? I said, you know, after the game, it's going to be 100 to 200 <laughs> media people there. I'm not going to be able to get my, my um. My, my, my clothes out. So, so ironically, just ironically, he got a triple-double, and he uh, uh, got the MVP. And as I'm walking in, you know, festivities and everything, I couldn't get to my lock. I was like, hey, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I got to get to my lock, people. Excuse me, can I get to – and I just grabbed my clothes, and I took them in the back, and I took a shower. But I knew what was going to happen again. But, you know, he, he, you know it, it was fun that year, especially that All-Star game, playing with him. And uh, we had a lot of fun. So besides playing with him and against him during regular season, you know, during postseason, you guys met up with each other a couple of times in the offseason, mm. just playing some pickup games. Um, talk a little bit about what that was like doing pickup games with Michael Jordan. And from what you told us before, you two did not want to guard each other. Right. Oh. Right. I mean, you know, it, it was a coward. It was, you know what, it was very intense when he, you know, when, when Mike walks into the gym, anticity, uh, uh, the, the trash talking, the uh, competitiveness goes up. I mean, it just goes up through the roof. My first encounter was back in 80, what, 86, 87. Uh, we had a pro-am tournament in Chicago, and this was a chance to go to the championship game. And, I mean, everybody in there, you know, we talking trash before the game, and somebody said, oh, yeah, by the way, MJ on the way. I'm like, MJ who? They said, MJ. I was like, who is MJ? It was like Michael. It's like Michael Jordan. I said, oh, really? They was like, yeah. I was like, okay, okay. Uh -huh. It went from there to like 100 times higher of yeah. intensity. And um, we played. We lost to him in overtime. Um, but, you know, I, we, we, that's when he kind of like – saw me play, and he and then Craig Hodges was going against me. He asked him, Craig, and Craig Hodges was on his team at that particular time. He asked Craig, he said, Craig, can you stick him? I said, no, he can't stick me. I said, why don't you stick? He was like, Craig, you better go ahead and stick him, man, and let's go and try to win this game. I was like, all right, cool. So we lost, but, you know, um, he, he, he gave me that little nod, was like, yeah, you got a chance. You have a chance to make it to the NBA. And then things got real 
in June when Jemai Webster and Julian McWilliams joined us for an important conversation about race and sports. Now, Jules, uh, I'd like to start with you. Just what has your emotional state been like over the past week since the death of, of George Floyd here and the protests that have been swallowing this country? Um, yeah, well, guys, thanks for having me. I know this is a, an important conversation. Usually we talk about sports and all that stuff, but um, there's more important things going on in the world, and I'm, I give kudos to you guys for bringing that to light. Uh, you know, the emotions for me has just been like – sort of been really, really draining, you know, in a sense where it's, you know, you saw the video. Um, usually a lot of times I don't even look at those videos um, because it's just, you know, it's just so toxic, so mentally draining, so physically draining. Um, they ruin your days, they ruin your weeks. But for some reason I looked at the video and um, at this point I wish I hadn't. Uh, it's, you know, it's just goes to show the, the uh, injustices that, you know, my people have faced in this country. Um, you know, black people, African Americans in particular. Um, uh, the you know, you go to your mind starts racing to well, it could have been my brother, it could have been me, it could have been my father, it could have been, you know, my uncle or, or even you know my niece. Uh, so, um, see, seeing stuff like that just kind of hits your heart differently. And and I don't know what what it was about this one. It's just um, it hit me a lot different in a sense where you know I you hear him cry for his mother. Um, you hear him, you know, they said he went to the bathroom on himself and just all these just different, different thoughts of, of, of just, you know, how the black and black people in this situation feel sort of hunted. Um, and then, you know, you go to see the stuff on Instagram and Twitter and it just became so much that um, it, it just became so mentally drained for me. You know, I, I look at somebody like my niece, she's out there screaming something like Black Lives Matter and she's eight years old. And the part of me was like, wow, that's great. But then there was also a part of me that was saying that was dejected by that. You know, here's this eight-year-old black girl having to um, affirm herself um, in this country that her life matters. Um, so for me, it's, it's, it's hit on a lot of different notes and a lot of different um, um, things. And, and, and seeing my fiance having, who's a principal at a school in Brooklyn, having to talk to her kids about it and and, you know, them having mental health days and, and having black kids say, well, you know, we don't want to sit in a park or something like that because, you know, uh, we're scared to go to a park because we don't know if we'll, you know, they'll say, oh, well, you don't have your mask on, so you're arrested or something like that. Just little nuanced things that, that black people have to deal with on a day-to-day -day basis that um, really, really uh, registered with me within a different way and in a, in a negative way, in a sense. Yeah, Jemai, I know talking to you earlier in the week, this has been extremely taxing on you and your emotional state as well. And it's nothing new, is it? Definitely not. I mean, to kind of echo what Julian said, it, it's, you know, you feel a wide range of emotions. Um, initially, it's it's madness, you know, frustration. Um, but you, then you feel anguish and, and you feel almost defeated and, and you get this feeling of dejection because, you know, we've been through this before. Um, you know, I think the Black Lives Matter movement really uh, sparked the national consciousness when Trayvon Martin was killed um, back in 2012. So it's like, you know, how many more of these are we going to have to go through before people understand that this isn't okay? Um, so it felt like all that coming back into my mind and, you know, there's been numerous, uh, 
police brutality cases where uh, black people have uh, been killed at the hands of, you know, crooked cops or, or people who, um, you know, have character issues or, or should not even be on the force. So I think maybe sometime last week I saw a tweet that Chance the Rapper sent out with a list of these names. And it was all the people who had been killed by police, um, black people, people of color. And so I'm going up the list and I'm, I'm going up the list and I, I'm like, oh, I, well, I recognize that name. It's Walter Scott. You know, I'm going up the list, 20 more names. And then I see Tamir Rice and 30 more names. And I see Michael Brown, you know, and it's like, where was the information on all of this? Like the fact that, and, and it made me call into, you know, it kind of made me call my blackness, quote unquote, into question a little bit because I hadn't known about these other situations. They weren't as broadly uh, represented in, in news and on different topics like that where we get information. But just the fact that there was so many, it just kind of, it was such a depressing thing to to witness. So this week has been a lot of that. And, you know, bringing up all those feelings again, um, that just a couple weeks prior, we felt like when Ahmaud Arbery um, lost his life with his run-in with, with a few people in Georgia, um, which feels like it was racially charged. Um, and we're still waiting for situation to, to, to be resolved and played out um, in the judicial, judicial system. But I was thinking about this as well, where, you know, we see all these black lives being taken and, you know, you want to get the background and you want to get the history of, you know, how much is this affecting other ethnic groups? And it's disproportionately not even equal, not even close. And it's like, it makes you examine yourself and be like, why is this happening? The Bruins season ended without a Stanley Cup title. We were pretty bummed about that, especially with all the momentum that they had before the pause. Billy Jaffe, one of our favorite Nesson Bruins analysts, explained what went wrong and what may be ahead this upcoming season. Uh, just first, how would you describe the Bees' performance here in the postseason? Uh, I would describe it incredibly uh, inconsistent uh, at telling at times. Um, uh, disappointing, and I don't know. I would also call it, um, you know, uh, curious. Maybe Emerson. Does that make sense? Okay. Yeah, it uh, does. You know, I mean, that type of like, it, it just it was inconsistent, and I think that that maybe is the best term to describe it. You know, they they show up, they do great against Carolina. And they get to their game quickly. But then they get to a much better team than Carolina, and they couldn't find their game. So are they that far away from Tampa, or was it something else? And I, I think it's a mixture of both, quite honestly. Okay. Well, uh, I, I kind of want to play with a hypothetical here, Billy. Do you think if Tuka Rask had not left, would he have made enough of a difference against Tampa Bay? Uh, I, I guess using the, the, the five games as the barometer to measure this, no. Would it maybe help to go seven? Yes. Yeah. Um, 
anything can happen in game seven. Let's count how many cliches Billy can bring to the podcast, right? <laughs> um, I love it. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I'm not blaming Yarrow but at, at all. But he was very inconsistent. Yeah. Like the rest of the team. If Tuca is his regular Tuca self and more consistent and he's at that high, high level, he helps them get further. I can't tell you, though, Celia, that it means that they win the series. Right? All right. The big, yeah, it yeah. does. It does. And, and I think the biggest question after they were eliminated by the Lightning, everyone's getting very emotional thinking, is this the last time we see Big Z in a Bruins uniform? Is it the last time we see him skate in an NHL game? He said on Thursday, Billy, that he wants to come back. Do the Bruins want him back? I think as Big Z is like the, the person, the human being, sure, we all love him. But did the Bruins want him back, the player? Yeah, they do. I do. Um, different role. We've been seeing this role, you know, happen right in front of our eyes. The role change. Uh, it's not a reversal. It's a change uh, from being Mr. Everything to now he's Mr. Some Things. But he is still their biggest guy when he wants to be their, bit, their baddest dude out there he's still yeah i would never want to mess with him ever (laughs) Uh right uh he's also their leader and one of the great captains in the game and you need him i think to help mentor other young defensemen i I think you need it um i think you'd be honest i think you also with him but i think you say to him like we love you and they do love him and we're going to celebrate you you know, and they should celebrate him. I don't know if last year would officially be his last year. I can't answer that. But I think that there's got to be a feeling of, Z, let's do this together one more year. Let's celebrate you. Let's have you go out, kick ass, and then let's go from there. But I, I know he wants to play another year. Yeah. I know it. Are we yeah. thinking like a, bit, like a big poppy farewell tour kind of thing? Yeah, kind of like what we see with NBA players. Well... Hockey doesn't do it like that. There's a little more humility in hockey. And a lot less, a lot less me and a ton more we. Yeah. And uh, Char will not want a grandiose send-off everywhere he goes. I don't like speaking for people, okay? Never do. But I think knowing him enough, yeah. he's not about that. He's about there. Get out there, do his job, lead his team. But I think, I think there would be an element of this could be his last year. Let's celebrate one of the great Bruins defensemen of all time. Uh, there's a lot of other guys that are also set on becoming free agents now. Uh, three other guys that are unrestricted besides Big Z, Tory Krug, Kevin Miller, mm-hmm. Joakim Nordstrom. Which one of those three would you like to see stay the most? Well, I'd love to see Tori Krug say, <laughs> um, you know what I'd love to see? A little foot side note thing. I'd love to see Kevin Miller just play again. Just yeah. let the, For oh, sure. he's such a wonderful guy. Let him play. Even if that means, a, you know, a two-way or, you know what I mean? Like have him around to help teach young guys. Have him maybe, I don't know if he plays games in the American League, but, but you know, if he needs to get up to speed, he play, I, I just love him. And then back after the NFL kicked off we're talking right after week one we had will silva of the nfl network who joined us to talk 
All things Patriots, what we just witnessed, what was expected down the road with Cam Newton and his fit here in New England. Uh, I loved what I've seen from Cam Newton. And you really think about how he has felt more and more comfortable each week. One of the things that people don't think about when they think of, of Cam Newton is that if he goes to the sideline and talks to Josh McDaniels and Bill Belichick and said, hey, what play are we going to run? If it was Tom Brady, Tom Brady could say, oh, yeah, remember that play that we did in 2018, week seven? And Cam Newton doesn't even have a mastery of the offense, and he's playing really well. Also, he is trying to really build that chemistry with a lot of the guys that he has there. I mean, he's building chemistry with Isaiah Zuber, you know, and J.J. Turner. And just imagine this guy with more weeks to absorb the playbook. And then you look at the way teams play him. The Raiders, if you look back at that tape, they had the ends out wide because they were so scared. They were trying to protect that edge because of Cam. And then what ends up happening is he hands it out to Sony Michelle and he busts it right through. Oh. And that's the kind of threat that he brings and makes them the most efficient running attack in the NFL right now. Yeah, they, they, he has like defenses almost guessing. They're, they're on their toes. What's this team look like if Tom Brady's still on it right now? Like, with this offense, with the players on this team, are the Patriots 2-1 and one with Tom Brady? I, I would find that hard to believe just because this dimension, again, that Cam brings is unlike anything they've had in this offense before. I mean, Tom Brady, obviously he's a legend and no one can replace him, but Cam Newton has done a pretty good job of it. And I know for McDaniels to have a guy like this, it opens up the playbook to so many different possibilities. And you see the way that Cam is running. I mean, the guy is running the ball downfield and he's running hard and he's trying to shed tackles and he looks healthy to me. And I think that is the one thing that's keeping these defenses on their toes. And it's been fun to watch. Yeah, it's been keeping all these defenses really humble. Um, and, but with him being the leading rusher in the first week, that was a little bit scary because you yeah. want to see a little bit more from their running back core. And also, like you said, he's healthy, but we don't want him to get hurt all of a sudden with all the carries he had. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's a big week for him. I, week two against Russell Wilson, that was another huge week, and that was a winnable game. So how Absolutely. can the Patriots – threaten the Chiefs, the, the new dynasty that's the Kansas City Chiefs, how can they be successful against them this week? Honestly, it's like, I feel like Patrick Mahomes is the Walter White, where he is saying to his wife in Breaking Bad, I'm not in danger, I am the danger. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I feel uh, Patrick Mahomes is to the rest of the NFL. If you notice the plays that they run, those are plays that a team holds on to for a special occasion, right? Those are the gadget plays that you save later on and you, and you break the glass in case of an emergency. And the way Mahomes is back in the pocket and he just waits a beat for those receivers to get open. If you looked on Monday night and you saw Nicole Hartman go way past uh, Marcus Peters there. And Peters had him up front. But because Mahomes is waiting and waiting and waiting, and he has him open, 
And that is tough to do. That's why somebody like Bill Belichick, I think he's going to have something up his sleeve. I do think he's going to have something for Patrick Mahomes. And I think the blueprint is that 2018 AFC Championship game, at least that first half, where Mahomes looked just befuddled. He didn't know what to do. Yeah. Obviously, second half, he went crazy. And they probably lost that game because of a coin toss. But you saw that there is something that you can do to at least slow him down. Yeah, we saw what the Chargers did against him just a couple of weeks right. ago, too. Kind of right. made him look like a normal quarterback, a regular human yeah. being. He's a human. He, yeah, right? I'm like, <laughs> yeah. oh, my God, he's not a robot. So does the, do the Patriots look and see what the Chiefs just did against Lamar Jackson and use that to build a blueprint for how to use Cam Newton in this game? I think so. I think that um, uh, right now, if you look at what happened with Lamar Jackson, and this has been the knock with the Ravens, is that they know how to get to you first with their quick style rushing attack, but they don't know how to play from behind. And then you're forcing them to throw a lot. And for the, for, for say the defense of the Patriots, what I would be concerned for them is that secondary, because if you see how they are throwing at Gilmore right now, they are not afraid at all. And in November, former Raiders CEO and current CBS sports football analyst, Amy Trask gave her take on the Brady versus Belichick debate. What do you think is the biggest problem the Patriots are facing right now? And there's a lot of them. Well, you know, I think all of the sort of opprobrium directed at the Patriots organization and at Bill Belichick is just silly. At best, it's silly. It's absurd. It's misplaced. Look, the whole Brady without Belichick versus Belichick without Brady, I think that's nonsense at this point. And I think the, the sort of scorn and, and opprobrium, as I said, being directed at the Patriots is nonsense. New England lost 19 players that were either starters or significant contributors last year going into this season. Eight of those 19 opted out as part of the virus protocol. And the reason I note that is those were late losses in terms of how the season and the off season progress. So you can't do a one-to-one -one comparison. Look, Bill Belichick has six rings. I think a lot of people have been waiting for this moment to pounce on him. And I think 100%. It's, it's absolutely misplaced. Yeah. And look, Yes, I was there on that snowy, snowy night. And, you know, no, I'm never going to get over it. But no, I, could you not have, I could not have more respect for Bill Belichick and, and for the Patriot organization, for Robert Kraft, for Jonathan Kraft. It is a magnificently run organization. And, you know, we're always going to see that snowy night very, very, very differently. But the scorn that's being directed at Bill and at the Patriots is misplaced right now. How weird was it hearing him be so candid, though, earlier this week mm -hmm. when he was mentioning the salary cap and how that is a big reason why they're in the position that they are right now? Well, I can't comment on, you know, the accuracy of that. I'm not familiar yeah. with the details of their cap situation. Um, you know, I will say this. All teams face cap issues. Some teams face cash issues. In my experience, cash was as or more important than cap considerations. All of those things have to be balanced. 
Um, so I can't weigh in as to the um, magnitude of those issues. Yeah. But look, again, I think they deserve the benefit of the doubt. They've got six damn rings. Like if there's anyone who can build this thing back up. Yeah, if there's anyone who can build this thing back up like in a heartbeat next year, because they are expected to have some of the uh, the largest cap space, it's going to be Bill Belichick. Like, I don't understand why we sit here and we can't continue to question him. I agree with you. And I've said this for years. I think he is the best NFL head coach ever. And when I've said that on air, whether at CBS Sports Network or on the radio, you know, people pounce on me and they say, but, 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 but what about Vince Lombardi? And what about, and they name other coaches. Mm -hmm. And obviously those were magnificent coaches as well, but none of them operated in a salary cap era or an era where free agency is as, um, significant the, as, as it is now. So I think Bill is the best head coach of all time. And you're right. If I had to fix a team, rebuild it, revamp it, um, adjust it, I'd, I'd want him doing that. Uh, Bill, with all of his championships, and I mean, the man's not one to make excuses either. So I, I feel like people painting this as an excuse, it, it's really not true. He doesn't make excuses. Um, do you think, though, that he can right the ship and get back into, you know, getting into the, the postseason? Because right now, that 11-year streak is kind of on the line here. Do you believe that they can do it? And if so, how do they do it? Well, it's obviously an uphill battle this year for them. And I, I'm sorry I used the word battle. I hate doing that. It's an uphill climb for okay. the team to try to do that this season. And right now, it doesn't appear likely. But look, they've added an extra playoff team in each conference. So... Um, you know, as has said, it wasn't over. You know, I'll, I'll do it exactly. Was it over when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor? <laughs> Touche. <laughs> it's, it's not over, but it's yes. an uphill climb. But you know what? Let's assume for the moment New England misses the playoffs this year. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, you've got those six rings and you got to trust the organization and your coach that they're going to rebuild in the manner they've shown they can build. So, you know, Let's say that the playoffs aren't in the cards for this season. Okay, so you didn't make it this season. And I know that sounds sort of, you know, lackadaisical on my part, but I just think you need to look at a bigger picture um, than any one season. And by the way, this is a weird season. And former Steelers defensive back and current ESPN analyst Ryan Clark joining us to share his favorite Tom Brady stories. Getting beat by Tom Brady during our career, which happened a ton too, bro. Mm -hmm. Like they used to beat the brakes off us. And it was always one of those things. It was like, we were really, really good, especially defensively. You know, like there were times like we were the best defense in the world. And then you play Tom, man. And you like, I remember one time he hung like 50 on us. And then, you know, there was the guarantee here by Anthony Smith. On you. By 55. Anthony Smith. Yeah. I oh, mean, you don't know, do that, silly. Oh, I don't. Oh, man. It don't bother <laughs> me. That's one thing I tell people all the time, man. It's like, when you try, when people try to like find a negative about my 13 years Super Bowl, Pro Bowl, NFL Why? career, yeah. it's like, all right, you know what I mean? Like you got blown out by Tom Brady. So, like, when was the last time you were on the field with Tom Brady? You know what I mean? So uh -huh. that don't bother mm -hmm. me at all. Mm -hmm. That don't bother. But I think like when you look at Tom Brady, man, it wasn't like one memory; it was sustained excellence. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And like, I never, like, I never, like, was, when you play Aaron Rodgers, you always had a fear of, I can be perfect and still be wrong. That's you know? annoying. 
You know, like that. Like, it has that, to be so frustrating. Oh my yeah, like, like, like that's frustrating. With Tom, man, it was to the point, he was like, if we don't do something different, this dude is so good. He's so smart. He's so experienced. He's going to bust our head. And, you know, you'd walk off the field, you'd go shake his hand, and you'd be like, you know what, dude? You did it again. Unless I remember, you're Nick Foles. Unless you're Nick Foles and he doesn't shake your he hand. He won't shake your hand then. <laughs> hey, man, COVID, though. COVID, 2020. Okay, yeah. It's COVID. You can't be just shaking every hand. You know what I'm saying? Um, I yeah. will say this, though, about Tom Brady, man. I remember my last year, I left Pittsburgh and went back to Washington. Not sure why I did that. Um, and we practiced with the Patriots. And I remember watching him, man, and, and seeing him run run the practice and seeing him basically coach guys, seeing him be a leader and saying to myself, and I played with a, a, a two-time Super Bowl champion quarterback. I was like, dude, it's different. And uh, we talked for about 20 minutes before the game. Neither one of us were playing. And I remember calling Troy Palomalu, and I was being like, bro, I got sad news. And he was like, what you mean? I was like, I really like Tom Brady. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, I was like, bro, I was like, Tom Brady's cool as hell. You know what I'm saying? I was like, he could have been our quarterback, you know, because, because honestly, because, because you watch his greatness and, and listen, man, like the dude got everything. Like for some reason he was able at 43, he has a better body than he had when he was 22. He's more handsome. He's more handsome. Yeah, he's like more chiseled. Like where does it all come from? He looks like a different person. The tan helps everybody. You see what I'm saying? And so, and so like you, you, you make up a narrative that he can't be a good dude. I'm gonna be honest. That's the narrative I made. Cause I needed to find a way to hate him. Like mm-hmm. I needed to find a way to not like marvel at what he had accomplished. And I remember talking to him. I was like, frick, he's also yeah. cool. You know what I mean? I was like, this dude has it freaking all. And he really does, man. Like, you know, you can't like the, the, the one thing I will never not is what Tom Brady's done who he is, what he's been. I can talk about his play game by game, but there is no way that you can have a bad thing to say about the stuff that Tom Brady's accomplished and what he still can possibly do, you know? And so you can attribute it to Bill Belichick. You can attribute it to TB12, freaking quinoa and avocado juice or whatever you want to. (laughs) Avocado Uh, ice cream. My bad, I'm sorry. (laughs) Avocado ice cream. But dude truly is a marvel. Oh my goodness, uh, incredible guest from- Thank you. The episodes are we at now? We, we've surpassed 30, but it's, it's we've had incredible guests throughout this year. That was 2020 when we kicked off this podcast uh, right around it's, quarantine time because we were bored, need something to do. <laughs> it's very true. It has helped me stay sane, but it's become one of the more popular podcasts in the world. People are demanding to join us now. and. <laughs> I look forward to our first one of the new year, which will hopefully have a lot less 2020 vibes to it. Yeah, no kidding. Up, you know, next week. I, I, I second that. Um, I mean, I, I do want to add something real quick here, E. What do you got? What are you looking forward to in, in 2021? I am looking forward to seeing my family again. I haven't seen my mom and dad down in Florida since March. I literally cannot wait to give them both a hug, even though my mom does not want that. But I can't wait to spend some time with them and to just tell them I love them again and have them you know, pay for dinner and my mom do my laundry. <laughs> I, miss, I miss all of that tremendously. But And I know I'm not the only one in, the, in that boat. So hopefully we can get back to what life, what we looked at as, you know, the previous 
normal or whatever the hell people are calling it now. But family is everything to me, and I can't wait to see them. Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, I second that and hugging people, and then you know maybe one day sitting down at a bar to have a beer. Oh my Something gosh! Yes, that would would be very nice to do one day. But I mean, I'm proud of of everyone for making it through this year that was 2020 and i'm hopeful that 2021 will start to take that next step forward to getting back to normal um but yeah the, the incredible incredible ride on this podcast uh, i'm so i'm so glad that i have you and fred our, our yeah, you are producer mvp along the way on the on this podcast uh but what what a what a crazy ride 2020 has been it really has been. And we thank all of you once again for coming along on this wild ride with us here on the Nesson After Hours podcast presented by People's United Bank. Be sure to download, rate, like, and comment on the podcast, please. We need this so much. And we will see you guys next year. <laughs> Stay healthy. Happy New Year, New England. We love you.